Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in. Cube Show Podcast. I am set, ready. Been a minute, feel like, since we've been together, uh, especially since you see me on video because we had some technical issues last time around. We usually come to you on Sundays because of Christmas. We're backing it up a little bit. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to kind of lay out the next um, next couple of episodes and sort of our, our plan working into the offseason, wrapping up uh, this postseason. Today, we're going to preview some SEC bowl games. Not, not all of them because we'll do an episode next Sunday where we will review the bowl games that have taken place and then preview basically the college football playoff and one or two others. Um, we're still going to update you, discuss, talk about portal coaching movement, things like that, like the news, the headlines. But we're going to take a lot of the portal guys. One thing that we've done that I know you guys have said that you like is we've taken guys coming from the portal into SEC schools. We go study them. We tell you about them. We're still going to do that. But we have the entire offseason to do that. We're going to focus in on games that are taking place now. We'll still go through a couple of moves that I really like. Uh, there, because there are a couple things that are that happened that were headline worthy. We need to discuss. We want to discuss that. Um, but we're going to get into a couple of these games that are coming up. What we like about them, don't like about them, and a little bit of a preview. And then on Sunday, we'll drop another episode. I'll be in New Orleans. Um, I just came back from. By the way, I hope you all had a, a wonderful and a merry Christmas. Uh, for me, it was excellent. Um, the house that I was in, we go stay with my in-laws in Decatur. Which, by the way, we had. Strawberry pretzel salad and homemade ice cream pie, which my mother-in-law's homemade ice cream pie is, it's a homemade chocolate sauce on top of vanilla ice cream with a uh, crumbled Oreo cookie crust. And she makes her own whipped cream to put on top of it. And it is the best dessert I've ever had hands down. It ain't even close. And strawberry pretzel salad is usually for like Thanksgiving and a couple other holidays. And she just made them both. And so um, I feel like I might be diabetic today, but I'm not going to pass up on those. I'm just, I'm just not. But um, we had three kids. We have six kids. My wife and I have three. But the, in their house, we had six under the age of nine. So it was, uh, to say the least, uh, crazy, hectic, but it was a lot of fun. Um, if any of you guys have you know younger kids watching them on Christmas Day is just awesome. So it was, it was cool. It was very neat to be able to, to be with family. And I hope you guys all had a Merry Christmas as well. Um, as you know, always brought to you by our friends at Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. You can pick them up in your grocery store. Boom, just like that. Grab a giant jar today like we have at the house. You can snack on them, use them for your burgers. Uh, they have great little recipes at Wickles Pickles on Instagram. You can catch some of those, see what those are all about, and get that going. Um, but they they sponsor the show. Check them out online. Wicklespickles.com. Use promo code CUBE. You can get 15% off. If they don't have them in your grocery store, they'll ship them to you. And it'll be fantastic. So you can go pick those up there. Uh, Wickles Pickles, proud sponsor of CUBE Show. We always appreciate them. All right, so we'll go through some today and a little bit of news today. And then we'll come back Sunday. I'm going to the Alamo Bowl today. I'm going to San Antonio. Um, 
SEC bowl season gets going tomorrow and then throughout the course of the week. And then from the Alamo Bowl, I'll go to the Sugar Bowl. I'm going to be on the Sugar Bowl um, Megacast presented by Pat McAfee. Uh, it's going to be me, uh, Sam Macho, Colt McCoy, and Harry Douglas. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about that game, just Texas-Washington in general. I think it's going to be an awesome game. I had it in the Alamo Bowl last year, and I'm excited to be a part of it as a playoff game this year. So we'll just cut an episode there in New Orleans and um, try to figure out a few things to preview the college football playoff and preview everything else happening around the SEC. And the thing with the players is there's just there's it's nonstop. There's so much. I can't, I can't even begin to try to get through everybody coming in, everybody gone. Um, I did want to hit just like some big SEC news right off the bat. Uh, LSU loses Mike Denbrock to Notre Dame. I think it's a massive loss. I think he's exceptional. Um, I've respected what he's done since I've started playing closer attention to him the last two years. Obviously, he had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback this year. But it's the, it's the changes and the adaptations they made in the offseason, knowing what they had, and then the year before doing it with a couple freshman tackles and a new quarterback, and it's just been really cool to watch. I think it's a massive loss for Brian Kelly. Um, I have heard similar things that other people are reporting, discussing uh, about the Michigan job, but I think a lot of things have to happen for that to even be real or to take place. So I'm not going to say that that's likely. By any stretch of the imagination, anybody can sit here and say, oh, yeah, there's interest. Well, a lot of coaches have a lot of interest in other jobs. You just don't know it. Um, but that's a, I mean, Michigan is a, it's a fantastic job. And I don't know if he's more interested in that than LSU, but it's one that I think he would probably listen, especially if things aren't going exactly the way he wants them to in Baton Rouge. He's had two good years. You can say this year was a letdown, but there weren't a ton of people saying that they were going to be in the playoff before the season. I think it's just once you saw what the quarterback was doing, everybody said, oh, this is a waste of a quarterback because you've had Heisman and should have been in Blitnikoff. I voted Malik Neighbors number one in Blitnikoff, so whatever. Uh, A&M gets Jay Bateman as their defensive coordinator. Um, I think that's a good get. Been in North Carolina, been with Elko. He knows, obviously, how to handle himself. Been around big-time college football. Elko will have his fingerprints all over the defense, so it's not a massive deal either way. A couple of guys out of the portal. Uh, Florida loses Jalen Kimber, DB, and Tennessee loses Wesley Walker, a DB. I, the Jalen Kimber one's big. I think he's talented. Wesley Walker's not huge, but it's just they start to stack up. It's kind of like the Georgia thing. We're going to talk about Georgia in just a second, but uh, I don't think Wesley Walker by himself is one that you look at and say, man, that's going to be a massive problem. That's going to be a big deal. But you look at now, I think six or seven DBs. And this team have gone in the portal, and I know Tim Banks probably trying to reinvent that portion of the defense, but there's no guarantee that you're just going to get extra guys in that you like or that all of a sudden are players. So I do think it's a little bit dangerous to have that much turnover at one spot. Georgia, a little bit of a similar deal. A lot of younger guys hitting the portal. Is that panic button time? No, it's not. Um, Especially because for some reason, I don't think people are – as many people that were going nuts about what Georgia – was losing to the portal, very few have come around and given proper credit to what Georgia has gained in the portal. And that also needs to be done. Now, some people are, like you see Rusty Mansell and you see some of the guys that cover Georgia on a regular basis, have an understanding of what that is. I mean, even like Nick De La Torre, who covers Florida, knows that ATN going to Georgia is a big deal. Uh, but there's just not, there's a lot of people that were like, oh man, there's so many people from Georgia hitting the portal. What are we going to do? Kirby's losing it. 
But then when good players come back in, you have to treat that the same way. And I just, I don't, I don't feel like that's sort of been quid pro quo. Um, but a couple of, there've been a couple of heavy hitters into other teams facilities from the portal that I wanted to touch on. And Kentucky is one of those Georgia guys. There's a, there's a, there's two or three Georgia guys I'd be concerned about. We talked about Marvin Jones a couple of weeks ago, going to Florida state. He's now committed there. That would be one just, when you get up next to him and see him physically, you don't feel like an edge defender can be built like that and then can move like that. Um, and I, I feel like he just had a really bright future, still does have a bright future ahead of him. Uh, but Jamin Dumas-Johnson going to Kentucky, I think, is huge. I think it gives Kentucky some versatility at linebacker. And listen, Kentucky had one of the best off-the-ball linebackers in the SEC this year. It's just nobody talked about him. And you'll have him back. But now you get a, another veteran that has run a complicated scheme that understand it's a really good pressure linebacker, which Brad White's not afraid to use his linebacker in pressure situations. Keep in mind, Kentucky plays three down a lot, so you're going to be asked to blitz and pressure, probably from anywhere that you play on that defense. I just think it's, an, it's a really good get because I thought physically he brought it on a regular basis, so he'll fit into that blueprint under Mark Stoops and what they want to be and what Brad White wants to be. Just a phenomenal get for the Kentucky Wildcats, getting linebacker Jamie Dumas-Johnson from Georgia. Um, Ole Miss, we've mentioned everything that they're getting. Now finally get Walter Nolan from Texas A&M. And listen, I will, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you that there are some, there are some motor concerns. Um, there are some concerns on you know, being dialed in on a regular basis. But I'll tell you this, from a physical perspective, when he decides to play, they're not a lot like him in college football. Not just not the SEC. That's anywhere that I've watched. Um, can play inside, can play outside, good lateral movement, good power, perfect frame, great versatility up front. And in Pete Golding's system where he'll play some even, he'll play some odd, you know, he'll play some five-man fronts. Like he's going to do a lot of different things. Walter Nolan can move around and really help. And now you get somebody who's loose enough, has just enough twitch to where if he wants to win some one-on-ones, he's going to have the ability to do that. So you address some of that last season. Now you get Princely coming in who's lighter, a little more twitchy from Florida off the edge that can help you there. You get Chris Paul, the linebacker from Arkansas, who was phenomenal this year. And if you guys think I'm saying that just because he's going to Ole Miss now, go pull any of our weekly recaps that we did this past week, this past year. You'll hear me talking about those two linebackers at Arkansas, Chris Paul Jr. being one of them. And they were phenomenal. Played great football all year. Fast, attacks, love the way that he plays. This defense is reinventing itself right in front of our eyes. And you had Juice Wells on the other side at wide receiver. Um, it's You see the reasons people are excited about Ole Miss right now. Should be. Got a chance to be really good. And with what's coming back and Jackson Dart and Trey Harris and Quinchon Judkins, it's a hell of a nucleus that they got coming back. And they got good coaches there. Uh, so it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, Georgia does get Trevor Etienne from Florida. Great changeup back because I feel like Georgia's got a couple heavy hitters that can just go downhill on you. But now you get somebody that you can move. You get somebody that gives you a little extra burst. And the thing that ATN did that I loved late in the year when he almost sort of became a little bit more of the feature back than Montrell Johnson at times for Florida, he showed you that in between the tackles, he can be fine. Like he's not one of these guys that when he gets hit once in between the tackles, like he's done. Uh, I don't think that at all. Um, and I think he's going to be someone that. Because Bobo likes two back. You saw him do it with Dylan Bell this year, moving a receiver to the backfield and using him in different ways. So now you have some two back with the speedster that you can move around. He could be your motion guy. You can do a lot of things with Trevor Etienne. They get Miami receiver Colby Young 
47 catches, 563 yards. He's 6'5", 215. I've watched a little bit of him. I think he's loose enough to be able to win some one-on-ones. Obviously, a guy that can work in traffic, go up and attack the football. I think it's a good get. Anytime you can add talent at receiver, uh, especially with how Bobo works some of the formations and motions this year, I uh, did a great job with that. This is a good get for Georgia. And then they get South Carolina defensive lineman Xavier McLeod, who hasn't played a ton of football, highly thought of coming out of high school. I'll tell you this. The South Carolina staff was very excited about him going into last year. That's, I, I do know that for a fact. I can share that. I can't share a whole lot else. Um, LSU gets Xavier Thomas, Mississippi statewide receiver. Uh, I honestly can't remember if we hit this last time or not, but I'll kind of recap it. I uh, had Mississippi State multiple times this year. Thomas exploded the week before we had him the last time. And you know, he's a guy that can work inside. He can work outside. He can win one-on-ones. He's super fast. He was someone that they force-fed the football to at times. Now, probably needed to be done more. But I think if you're talking about a move-wide receiver and somebody who can utilize in the quick game, that can turn those into explosive plays, Xavier Thomas can be that guy for LSU. They got the big aliens. Now you got somebody that you can move around that can do some other different things for you that I think is going to be able to help the LSU offense. Um, A&M gets Vanderbilt safety to Ricky Wright. First off, you're getting a massive human being. When you see him up in, in person, you think there's no way this kid plays safety. Like he, he can't move like that. Surely he can't run that well, but he can. And we've got a, we've, I forget the episode it was. I'll try to tag it on Twitter for you guys. But talked about his story and how he's kind of taken care of his sisters since they lost their mom. He's from Gadsden, Alabama. Uh, Derek Mason raved about him, recruited him. Talk about what an amazing kid he is. Everybody on that team, on, in that facility that was around him, what an amazing human being he is. If I'm an A&M fan, I'm excited that we're just getting such an incredible person to be in my locker room. And the kid can play some football too. And he could be a real thumper in Elko's system, in his scheme. So I think it's a good get. And Auburn gets Duke linebacker Darian Mossy, Mousy, Mousy. I'm probably butchering that and I apologize. I did uh, talk to some of the Duke coaches because I just had the Birmingham Bowl. I uh, talked to some of the Duke coaches about him. They had really nice things to say about him. Plays heavier than he is, uh, but somebody that gives Auburn a little bit of versatility with Eugene Asante coming back. You need some numbers there because um, you saw that group get a little bit dinged up during the season last year. I think it's another good addition. So those are just a couple that have taken place that I wanted to hit off the top and go ahead and talk about those. I uh, also want to talk about Blue Delta jeans. You guys always know we talk about the most comfortable, the most breathable, stretchy denim you'll ever wear in your life. You can dress them up. You can go casual. Go to bluedeltajeans.com, late Christmas present if you need that. If you've got a little Christmas money you're looking to spend, you can go pick up the gift card. You can get sized digitally, and they'll ship them to you. There's no better pair of jeans out there than Blue Delta denim. Go check them out today at bluedeltajeans.com. Tell Nick and the guys you heard about them right here on Cube Show. All right. so. Wednesday, the 27th, we've got the Tax Act Texas Bowl, Texas A&M and Oak State. Now, Ollie Gordon, he's got his um, motion picture on Twitter announcing that he's going to come back with, I'm assuming that's the president of the university or somebody. I don't even know who that lady was. Um, but that's big for Oak State because your nation's, well, it was your nation's leading rusher until Kamani Vidal in the Birmingham Bowl passed him. I believe Ollie Gordon will pass him back. Um, in this game because I don't know who's playing for A&M. And we can go through Fadil Diggs, Walter Nolan, Jordan Gilbert, um, you know, just on defense, Edgerin Cooper, Isaiah Rakes, McKinley Jackson. Between the portal and the NFL, that side of the ball has been gutted 
the coaching staff, obviously a little bit in flux also. So you don't know exactly how that's going to play out and that's going to work. And then offensively, Max Johnson gone, Jake Johnson gone, Evan Stewart gone. Um, you know, you had one of your premier playmakers that you moved around from running back to slot to receiver to kick returner that's also going to the NFL, going to be gone. I know it's in Texas and that's advantage A&M maybe, but I just, I don't know what to expect from this team and a team that had trouble fitting some gap scheme runs a lot of the time this year anyway. I can't imagine it against a team like Oak State that's really good at it with a back that's exceptional with it. Like they'll run counter kick and power kick. And then, you know, they got a lot of those counter power looks that they give you with multiple tight ends. I mean, that Oak State offense is successful for a reason. And recognition's a big part of it. They'll get you misaligned. They'll take advantage of it. And they got kind of a try-hard offensive line. Not a ton of talent up there. But from a talent perspective, A&M should be fine. But this is a group that precisely knows how to manage that run game. It's kind of similar to the one with Florida State we'll talk about in a little bit. But how they operate it, they have just a good feel for where it's going to hit, how it's going to hit. They know when to stay on track, when to get off track. It's going to be a big challenge for the A&M defense with so many guys gone and so many new faces in there. Don't like A&M in this one. Just going to be honest with you. I, I, I think with all the change and all the, different, all the different guys that are in and out, and especially most of the guys that are out that are not going to play, it's tough for me to think that A&M, it's tough for me to feel good about A&M Wednesday night, 8 p.m. on ESPN, is going to be able to get this game in the Tax Act Texas Bowl. Love Elko. Love where the program's going. Just don't feel great about this one. All right. Uh, Friday. Uh, oh, no. Actually, we need to go to Thursday first. Because Thursday, we will get Arizona and Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl. I'll be there again. I'm looking forward to it. Had the Alamo Bowl last year. They treat us great. I love going to San Antonio for this game. Uh, 8.15 on ESPN. Here's, here's the, my first problem with this. Is Oklahoma has four offensive linemen that are gone, that have played this year. Two to the NFL, two to the portal, and I think maybe even a third or fifth one to the portal. Um, I mean, it is Nate Anderson, Marcus Hicks, Caden Green, Savion Bird. You got your edge, Reggie Grimes gone. Your running back, Tavy Walker's gone. Um, I mean, it is, it's a lot. And Dylan Gabriel leaves to go to Oregon, but in comes Jackson Arnold, the incumbent. And I've talked to some people on that staff that have raved about his ability. So everything that you're hearing and people getting excited about, it's real. And I've watched a little bit of film that he's got. Uh, came in the BYU game, had to fill in. Got some good snaps early in the Arkansas State game. He can throw it, and he's got good mobility. Actually, they run quarterback counter with him multiple times against Ark State, and he has a great feel for just kind of wait, get behind some of those blockers, and then get north and south. He's not afraid of contact. Um, you know, Oklahoma's forced 25 turnovers on the year. That's tied for second in college football. Uh, they have 111 points off those turnovers. Um, only Michigan has more of the 112. The problem is, if this was early Arizona they're playing, that would be great because Jaden Delara was handing the ball back to everybody they played multiple times a game. Noah Fafita has come in and taken care of the ball. Um, I think in the, I think I counted like the 15 previous starts before Noah Fafita took over under Delara, they had like 28 turnovers, the team did. And in the last seven under Fafita, they have like six or something. Like the, It's not just him. It's the team that has drastically cut down on turnovers. Um, since he took over on September 30th, this is Noah Fafita, the Arizona quarterback, he's top 10 in QBR, 
completion percentage, passing yards, and passing touchdowns. And when we had them against Mississippi State, Jed Fish told us, listen, the thing, because we always talk backup quarterback in your meetings, you want to know just in case a guy comes in, tell us a little bit about him so we know. He said, listen, this Noah Fafita kid, I'm just going to tell you guys right now, if he wasn't five, seven, or nine, whatever he is, I don't know, but he's short, um, he would be a big-time quarterback prospect. He said he can make all the throws. He, he understands how to get through progressions. He knows protections. Like he's football IQ off the charts. He's a gamer, and he's just short. That's it. He's just short. And so Jaden Delara gets banged up. He takes over, doesn't give the job back. Arizona's won six straight. They scored 25 or more in seven straight. Uh, they're not going to have Jordan Morgan, their left tackle, who is a big-time prospect. He'll be one of the first offensive tackles off the board. And with the way that this defense pressures, I would imagine left tackle would be watch that area first. You'll probably see Venables and company attack that with Morgan out. But here's what you need to know about this. This team physically gets after you. Defensively, when I went back and studied Arizona in the offseason, getting ready for the Mississippi State game, I could not believe the tenacity that the defense played with. My first thought was, these dudes ain't trying to hit you hard. They're trying to knock you out of the damn game. And I'm not saying from, from an illegal standpoint at all. It's just they play fast. Like Jacob Manu, this inside linebacker who's probably 2'11", but he plays like he's 3'11". Like the dude has no fear whatsoever. Big, long corners that are a problem. Uh, now, I do think some of the shot plays could be beneficial for Oklahoma. And Arnold, listen, Arnold can get it down there. But protection is going to be a concern. You've got a couple defensive ends are going to have a chance to play in the NFL. A defensive tackle that transferred in from Georgia that's a really good player. Um, and then offensively, you have an NFL running back. T-Mac's an NFL wide receiver. Uh, you probably have two NFL receivers also on this Arizona offense. So it's, this is, this is going to be a tough matchup for Oklahoma. I think it'll be an exciting game. I think it'll be a good game. But because of the offensive line with a newer quarterback, um, I would expect maybe adding some more quarterback run with some of the backs being in the portal, different things like that. But I don't feel great about Oklahoma in this game. I, I, I think it's kind of a toss-up in my mind. Um, but with all of the departures and very few departures from Arizona, you, you have to almost feel a little bit better about Arizona in this matchup. All right, so now we'll go to Friday. And 11 a.m. on ESPN, we get Kentucky and Clemson in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Now... Clemson's had a lot of guys on defense leave. Jeremiah Trotter's out. Uh, I think he had 15 and a half tackles for loss this year. Um, they allow 116 yards per game rushing and the number five pass defense in the nation. But you've had a couple, a couple DBs that are out also that are going to be gone. Um, I think this game really comes down to Devin Leary with no Ray Davis and how does he operate. Whether they want to go fast or slow, whatever that is, can he be comfortable? Because they have the explosive capability to be able to put up some points. I also think Kentucky has the ability to be able to get to Kate Klubnick, especially with how this offense operates. You're going to have a lot of slide protection. You're going to lot of have a pull protection. And Brad White has a good understanding of where to attack teams that protect that way. Um, so I would suspect Kentucky to be able to get to the quarterback, but you've got to stop Phil Moffa and Will Shipley. Um, I'm assuming both those guys are going to play. Because that Clemson rushing attack can get going and it can be a problem. And this Kentucky group's pretty aggressive and they fly around. Therefore, some misdirection stuff, you can be out of position. 
but I do think they can rattle Cade Klubnik. Um, I do think that they match up well against a secondary that has a couple of departures. Now, up front is where it'll be a little bit of a problem for Kentucky because this Clemson D-line's nasty across the board. And if that Kentucky offensive line, we've seen them show up and not show up this year, if they decide not to show up in this game, they ain't going to get anything going. It's going to be a real problem. But you know, you've got some guys behind Davis that have shown that they can operate well. It's just, I think Dingle coming back out of the portal going to be big. Utilize some of the intermediate stuff. And then you try to get some quick throws to some of those playmakers and generate explosives. Because I wouldn't be confident you're going to be able to hold up a whole lot. But Liam Cohen will have a plan. And I feel pretty good about Kentucky in this game. I know there's no Ray Davis, but with everything that Clemson's lost on defense, uh, Bo Collins going to be gone at wide receiver. Nate Wiggins also going to be gone from that defense. And really, Keaton Wade and Ray Davis is about it for Kentucky. So 11 a.m. Friday the 29th, that's the Gator Bowl on ESPN. I feel pretty good. Leary, by the way, was 1-2 and two against Clemson when he was at NC State. Five touchdown passes in those games. A 74.8 QBR, which is his Highest QBR against a team that he's played more than once in his career. So, I mean, not good in the win-loss column, but statistically he's had some success. All right, um, also the 29th, 7 p.m. on ESPN, Goodyear Cotton Bowl, Missouri, Ohio State. We know all the offensive guys, skill guys are going to be gone for Ohio State. Julian Fleming receivers out. Kyle McCord is out. So Devin Brown probably gets to go at quarterback. 12 of 22 this year. He hasn't been in the game since October 21st. That in and of itself is a little bit bothersome. Um, But there is a lot up front for this Ohio State defense that I like. Like Tyreek Williams has 10 tackles for loss. You know, Eichenberg and Chambers at linebacker, team's two leading tacklers, active. Um, But you go look at some of the rush numbers that teams like Notre Dame, Rutgers, Michigan have put up against them with, I think, the stretch play being executed better by this Missouri group than anybody that Ohio State has played. Now, they've seen it, and they, they have an, an idea what it's going to look like, and they'll try to rep it in practice. But when you start talking about how Missouri can be selective with you know, locking the backside and not bringing that backside tackle up to the backside linebacker and intentionally looking for cutback runs, that's how they split your defense. Some of the bootlegs, you know, some of the stuff with the motion coming flat in split zones, either hitting a tight end or receiver out there quickly like, Kirby Moore's done an awesome job moving the pieces around this year with that offense. I think it's going to be tough for Ohio State to manage. I, I'm not really, I'm not overly concerned about that part for Missouri because I think they'll find a couple scores, but I'm not sure about Ohio State really moving the ball because keep in mind, this is Missouri defense that'll get after you. It's an overrated Ohio State offensive line. Um, I, I, I don't know if Cade Stover's going to go. Travion Henderson, I'm assuming, is going to go at running back, who is super dynamic. When he's healthy, he's one of the better backs I've seen in the last couple of years. He's just not healthy a whole lot. And then I don't know what you're going to be at wide receiver based on the number of guys that are probably not going to dress and play for this game. So I think it's a big spot for Missouri. As long as Brady Cook operates it well, doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot, and just plays within his scheme, like let Cody Schrader rip, you know, get your quick throws in there. Let Kirby Moore dial up some quick things. Get you a few shot plays. Your defense will cause some problems. And I think Missouri's going to be – I like Missouri in this game. I'm really confident that Missouri gets this win and feel pretty good about just what they're doing. Now, I mean, listen, Ohio State's skilled number, number two in scoring defense in all college football. Um, you know, the number one pass defense in college football. Now, some of that I do think is 
you look who they've played. That's aided them in that just a little bit. But this is not a game that I think Brady Cook has to go out and dominate. Uh, I think he needs to be efficient and selective and put his guys in good spots. And Kirby Moore needs to keep him in good spots, use his legs a little bit to break that defense down. He's got the escapability because I do think up front Ohio State can cause pressure at times. But I like Missouri to be able to get this one. I feel pretty good about it. 30 or more points in 10 to 12 games for Mizzou this year. Uh, They've gone over 500 yards five times. Um, Schrader leads the SEC in rushing. Burden's third in receiving. They've got star power, man. And I, I, think, I think Missouri gets this one. I feel good about Missouri getting this dub. All right, uh, so then we go to Saturday, the 30th, and we start out with the Chick-fil-A Bowl, Peach Bowl. Chick-fil-A Bowl. I played in the Chick-fil-A Bowl, I think, before they called it the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Either way. Um, 11 a.m. on ESPN, Ole Miss Penn State. Cedric Johnson, I think, is out of this. Spencer Sanders, I think, is academically ineligible. What? <laughs> Um, how you've been in college football for like seven years and you can't be eligible for a bowl game is mind-boggling. Um, but Penn State's got Theo Johnson, a tight end out. Um, Olu Fashuno is going to be out at left tackle. Uh, Chop Robinson, Edge is out. There's a couple of big playmakers for, for Penn State that are going to be gone. Now, Penn State defense legit. Uh, they lead the FBS in total defense. Uh, they've held 17 straight teams under 400 yards. 17 straight. Um, now Lane's gone for over 438 of his 48 games since he's been the head coach at Ole Miss. So I'm pretty confident with Harris and Dart and Judkins and everything that, you know, Priest Corn. some of these guys having a little extra break to get even more healthy, which is even better. Uh, you know, what Dayton Wade has done this year. I don't think Penn state has seen a collection athletically like this many times this year. And also think this is one where Ole Miss, if they really want to, can ramp up the tempo, and that could be problematic in this game. Um, I am interested to see how they manage things up front. I know Chop Robinson's out, but this is still still a really good defensive line, a really good front seven. Obviously, a little bit of change on that side of the ball for Penn State as well. I just sort of feel like Lane has kept everybody on board. And kind of a little bit dialed in more so than a lot of other schools. And with what they're doing in the portal, I actually think pushes a little momentum towards Ole Miss in this game. Because now you look at it as we got these other reinforcements coming. We put together a good performance here. We're really teed up to make a serious run next season. And it doesn't always work that way. You know, some teams that are six and six, they go win a bowl. It doesn't automatically mean, oh, yeah, they're going to get to 10 next year. Like, that's not always how it goes. But I do think it can be a little bit of a difference for that squad this year. So I think it's a real plus, and I think it could help. Um, I like Ole Miss in the game. Drew Aller has been great. Uh, 23 touchdowns, one pick. But I think when you when you look at how much better this Ole Miss front is, even with Cedric Johnson out, I, I think with a couple of tight ends and offensive linemen out for Penn State, they can get to him. You just got to get him in second and third and long because Penn State runs counter as well as anybody. And some of the gap scheme stuff that they run, those backs have a great feel for when to put that foot in the ground and get north and south, and they have multiple backs that can flat get it. That's the challenge. Penn State rushing attack, to me, is the difference in this game. If it gets going, you keep that Ole Miss offense off the field, you obviously flip field position, potentially put some points on the board, you wear that defense down, and that's how you go get this one. But if those Ole Miss linebackers show up and – 
you know, Pagese and Harris and some of those guys show up up front on that defense and they can just neutralize the majority of that Penn State rushing attack, then I think Ole Miss gets this game. Um, also, we've got at 1 o'clock on ABC the Transperfect Music City Bowl, Auburn and Maryland. Um, a lot of big names out of this one. Talia Tungavailoa is going to be out. Uh, DJ James, Nehemiah Pritchett, Marcus Harris is going to be out for the Auburn defense. Massive. Um, and then uh, Javaris Johnson going to be out at wide receiver for Auburn. The thing about Maryland that I think a lot of folks probably don't know, wouldn't know, is that they're pretty physical at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. Like they got a lot of heavy-handed dudes. And some have hit the portal, and some have been gone over the last few years. But that's the biggest challenge for Auburn. So some of the guys that have begun, like a Jalen McLeod, that have begun to step up here towards the end of the season, like physically, like Johnson at defensive tackle, the Purdue transfer, some of those guys got to really step up. I mean, look at Auburn. He banged up a little bit, but Masai Nasil Kite, when he came in, like he was one of those guys. Like C.J. Dupree went over to Alabama playing tight end. Like they got dudes that, that, that physically can hold up and hold their own. And so I think that's the biggest challenge for Auburn. But I do think misdirection is going to be key. I think it's a big game for, for Peyton Thorne. Uh, begin to kind of show what you can do. Rivaldo Fairweather coming back. Heavy load in the run game. And if you go back to that Iron Bowl and watch it, a couple things stuck out to me. The, the lack of extra formations. Usually Hugh runs a lot of formations. There weren't a ton in that game. And how they changed the reads by the quarterback in some of the zone read stuff. Because I saw the reads changing to different personnel, and I think that's what opened up a lot of space in that rushing attack. So Jarquez Hunter and company, I would expect Mari Olsen and company get heavy workload. Even Peyton Thorne gets some good runs and gets some good run on the, on the ground because I still don't have a ton of confidence in the receiving core. And you're down a couple of guys. Like Jair Shorter and some of those guys hit the portal. So I still think it'll be a heavy rushing attack. I'm sure Maryland will, you know, they'll, they'll try to stack up, but I don't think that there's going to be massive headaches offensively for what Maryland can provide. And even though where I thought Auburn had a big advantage this game was defensively in the secondary, and they've lost a couple of those guys, I still think they're going to be okay. I like, actually like Auburn to win the game. I like Auburn to get the Music City Bowl. Uh, 3 p.m., we've got the Capital One Orange Bowl, Florida State and Georgia. Interesting one. Because who's going to play? I mean, I think that's your first question when you look at it. You're like, all right, well, who's up? Like, who's going? And, I mean, Florida State's one nineteen straight. Mike Norville does an awesome job. Should they be in the playoff? I don't know. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't have had them in, but whatever. Um, you know, for Georgia, Marvin Jones Jr. Marvin Jones Jr. Excuse me, we mentioned him. Uh, Dumas Johnson out. Vandergriff's going to Kentucky. But I mean, some of these guys they were they didn't have to have in the lineup all the time towards the end of the year, or they had played without. So I'm not overly concerned about it. Do I expect some of the guys who were dinged up to go, like McConkey and Bowers? Yeah, I would say probably not, but who knows? I mean, if Bowers is able at all, I anticipate he would go. McConkie was toughing out in the SEC Championship game, so maybe they will go. But now you're down Jared Verse, Tate Rotomaker, Malcolm Ray, defensive lineman, Bless Harris, offensive lineman, Johnny Wilson, super productive receiver, went for over 1,700 yards and eight touchdown catches. Uh, Keon Coleman, who had 11 touchdown receptions, led the ACC in touchdown catches. Uh, Jaheim Bell, tight end, going to be gone. Fabian Lovett, defensive lineman, going to be gone. I mean, it's just like, what? Um, I think George is fine in this game. You get Carson Beck back. 
you still have a ton of weapons. If, if there's no McConkey and no Bowers, you still have plenty of weapons to be able to take advantage of a defense that should not be able to get to the quarterback in any way, shape, or form, fashion close to what they did the majority of the year. Most of those guys are gone. So I think it's a big spot for Georgia. If Kirby can motivate these guys to come out and prove a point, which he's done plenty of times, in spots in ways that we never thought possible, I think Georgia physically will more than hold up. Georgia's big concern for me would be kind of like what we talked about a little bit earlier with some of the misdirection stuff, because you watch this team run power counter, they're really good at it. And they have a lot of things off of it, and they will formation you to death. You're going to get every formation possible with multiple tight ends and different people lined up in different places. And so the recognition part from the Georgia defensive standpoint has got to be on point. And if most of those cats in the secondary are playing, I think Georgia's in good shape because they can that's the that's where they can close space, make up ground, and be wrong, but still be right with those kind of athletes on the back end. So I think Georgia's good here. Um, I think they I would not be surprised if Bobo tries to go at them early and just see with a new defensive line just kind of how they hold up and what they're made of. I did tell you guys down the stretch, I thought that Georgia north-south rushing attack was just a little bit of fool's gold. Because if you watch how Tennessee and Ole Miss were kind of jumping out of their gaps, that's where a lot of the quick hitting runs came. Nobody wants to talk about that, but it's just the reality of what it was. So, But I still think you know Carson Beck, 4-1 against ranked opponents this year, um, 74%, 11 touchdowns, two picks in those games. So he's been on against their best competition. Uh, he's got 11 games with over 250 yards passing this year. I think only Michael Penix has more than that. So with him in the lineup directing traffic, Georgia's going to be fine. And like I said, I think they have the weapons to be able to do it. Georgia's got the number one third down defense in college football. And with the guys that are stepping aside, I think not only does Georgia win this game, I actually think Georgia dominates this game. And I think Georgia wins this game big. Um, so that's the bowl games coming up before Sunday. So what we will do is we'll come back Sunday and we'll, I'll watch the film of these games. We will recap them for you, what we saw on film, which will be cool because there'll be some new guys for some of these teams that maybe we're going to see next year or whatever. Um, and then we will preview Wisconsin LSU and the ReliQuest Bowl, uh, Iowa, Tennessee, and the Citrus Bowl, because you guys know you can't spell citrus.ut, right? Uh, and then obviously the college football playoff. We'll go a little bit of Washington, Texas. I'll be on the call for that one for the uh, megacast. And then we'll go Bama, Michigan, and the Rose Bowl. We'll hardcore preview those early Sunday. Try to do that Sunday morning. And, and then we'll get these out, these reviews of these out as well. And we'll punch that one out. Reviews of these. Preview the playoff. And then we'll come back and try to get a quick review of just those playoff games and the other bowl games that took place. I don't know if we'll wait until next Sunday. I might try to do something in between. Just go ahead and get that out for you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Sorry about the technical issues last time. We're trying to up our technology here a little bit, make things look a little bit better. But we appreciate all the support. You guys are awesome. Please like this video. Uh, subscribe to this video. If you're on iTunes or Spotify, please go rate, five-star, good review. Thank you so much. And uh, like I said, we will get to all the portal guys in the offseason. We have plenty of time to do that. And then once they're in, they're in. We can go watch the film and we'll bring that to you. We'll be back Sunday for more Cube Show.
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market. Rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.